I'd like to welcome you, especially some people who may be new. We are in a series in Romans. So we have gone from Romans chapter 5 all the way through chapter 8. And now, uh, and then with an overview last week from one of the pastors here at New City who overviewed 9 through 11. Now we are going to get really practical. So this is a big turning point in Romans uh, in Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, And before I read our text, I'd like us to bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring the Apostle Paul um, so that you could give us this instruction, instruction that he gave to the Romans about this glorious gospel, this kingdom of God, this good news that Paul is preaching to unify uh, believers and to create a new kingdom, a new uh, following, a new uh, to usher in a new age of your um, rule and reign. And so, Lord, we thank you for the instruction that it gives to us. We thank you for the encouragement that it is to us. Um, and we pray that um, as the words, as my words are spoken, Lord, that they would be guided by your spirit and that they would penetrate our hearts and help us to be refreshed and be renewed and um, really understand the, the glory and the joy of being a Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ in your kingdom. So we love you, Lord. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have a Bible, we're in Romans chapter 12, and we're only going to spend our time on the first two verses tonight. And there's a lot in here, so let's get our minds ready to hear and to receive the word of God. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the, the main idea of this message is uh, kind of goes to the, to the Greek of the text. I'm not super f- familiar with Greek. I've taken Greek classes, but um, Pastor Mike here at New City helps uh, Herb and I when we we're going through messages. And when we looked at the Greek together, we saw that the, the, the main things in the Greek are plain by the way people write them. You know, they couldn't emphasize things with like, by underlining them or putting an exclamation point or quotes around it or italicizing it. They didn't do those kind of things in the original Greek. What they did was they would phrase the, the, their, their phrasing would be a certain ways and they would have certain endings on their words to really emphasize certain things. And what Paul is emphasizing here in our text is be transformed. That word transformed in the second Uh, verse is really what Paul is emphasizing and really putting at the forefront and putting in big, bold letters. And so what Paul is urging us is that by the mercies of God, we are to be transformed through surrender and renewal. And so as we move on through this passage, that'll become more clear. Before I do, I want to spend a little bit of time on where we are at in Romans. So chapter 12 specifically, like if many of you have been here throughout the entire study, but 
chapter 12 is particularly interesting because it is like the big change, the big hinge and turning point of this letter. We have from from chapters 1 all the way through 11, we have all of these glorious truths that Paul is just proclaiming to us. He's telling us about our um, deadness in sin in chapter 1, our how we've desired the creature rather than the creator. He moves all the way through. And then in our study, we have chapter 5 through 8, we have the glorious truths of the gospel. In 3 and 4 of Romans, we have our justification by faith alone. Um, In chapter 5, we have we're dead in Adam and alive in Christ now. And then in chapter 7, we have the wrestling with the law. Chapter 8, we have now we've been born again by the Holy Spirit. Uh, 9 through 11, we have the grace and mercy of God in choosing and uh, predestining. And then also even in uh, chapter 10 and 11 about the Jew and the Gentile and all that stuff. So all of this working all the way up to chapter 12 has been mainly imperatives or indicatives. Excuse me. Indicatives are facts. Like statements of facts, this is what God has done. He has sent his son for us. We are now one with Christ. We have now been united with Christ. We now have, uh, have been raised to new life because of Christ's resurrection. And so all these indicatives are statements of facts with a couple imperatives, which are like commands, things that, have, things that are given to us that we should do. With a couple of those sprinkled in throughout, this is the first big command. This is the transition of the letter into more practical. Okay, now that you have all of that biblical truth, all of those mercies of God that he calls them in in verse 1. Now that you have this foundation, now we can move on into practical application of these truths. So it's really foundational. In really all of Paul's letters, he does this. And in actually most of the letters of the New Testament by other authors as well. You have in the, in the outset, in the front of the letter, you have all the glorious truths of the gospel. Then you move into the application and the practice and what we ought to do because of that. And you'll notice that the reason for this is very important. Because if Paul were to start out in the, in the beginning with all of these commands and these things to do, we will be overwhelmed by those commands. Because the more we learn, hear about those commands and try to obey those commands, the more we will fail. And then when we fail in those commands like we so often do in this world, then that, that, then we start to think about our acceptance and our identity as in those failures rather than what Paul does in his letters is on the outset he says, before you're not, you're not good enough, but God has sent his son to die for you. Therefore, now that you are redeemed, now that your identity, your deepest internal identity is with Christ, You're perfect before the Father because of your justification, because of Jesus' work for you. Now that you have been perfected and your identity is with God and blameless before God, now, with that in mind, we can now freely seek to obey the commands, knowing that our identity and our status before God is not dependent upon our obeying. It's now founded upon our identity in Christ because of what he's done. So you kind of get this idea that the, the gospel truths are essential to be put at the beginning. Because then what follows as a result is 
uh, freedom to go. And then when we fail, we can look back and say, okay, I already know my identity. My true identity is in Christ, one with Christ. Now I can continue to press on, even though I fail and I have great victories as well. I know that my real identity doesn't rely on my actions and how good I am at keeping the commands of God. And so now we come to this big transition and really it's this therefore. The word therefore is super important in the Bible and this is arguably the most important therefore in all of scripture. You have, um, Steve Lawson talked about this, is you have, uh, he grew up in a big town and then there was one little bridge that connected a whole other big town. And that little bridge is like this therefore. We have this big town over here is all the gospel truths, the mercies of God, all that God has done for us in Christ. And then Paul goes, therefore, this little bridge, here's how we ought to live. Here's this other big town, this big town with loving your neighbor, uh, loving God, um, all these different commands that we see. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. And now it's like an overflow of commands after that because it's all founded upon our identity and who we are in Christ. And so we have this therefore that transitions into that. And we see we also have this appeal. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So this appeal is like an urge. It's like a a pleading. I beseech you. I implore you. It's like you can hear Paul's pastoral heart here. He's saying, I appeal to you. I I am imploring you, kind of like in a sense, almost like begging you and urging you. To live in this manner, to be transformed. And why is he saying that? Imagine with me if Paul were to have ended his letter before chapter 12. So like it really does seem pretty logical and actually possible that he could have done that. You have in the, at the very end, uh, some of you were here for last week for Pastor Mike's and Pastor Dave's Q&A and all those things. And it really was a glorious climax at the end of chapter 11. You see right here, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, inscrutable his ways. 36, for, him, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Boom. And we can close our book and we can say Romans was a great letter. But that's the transition into now practical knowledge. So we see that there's, there's this... Um, All of this theology and all of this understanding and the indicatives, the statements of a fact that God has done and worked in us and through us, now he is, now he is uh, taking us and by sanctification, by this new life, we have from death to life. Now part of this life now is living, is actually living with that new identity in Christ. And Paul is going, it's actually foundational that we now, with that knowledge in mind, we live according to the Spirit and live according to our new identity. So, if I can put it this way, God doesn't merely just save us. And I mean save in the, in the sense of justification. He doesn't merely justify us. So now we can just go, all right, great, I'm saved. I'm good to go. Whenever I die, I'll go to heaven. And now I can just kind of chill out. I can sit back, relax, and kind of... Watch how things play out. I can just kind of coast now and put on cruise control and just smoothly ride off into the sunset. No, that's not what God does. God doesn't save us for that. God saves us so that we can be transformed and then also take part in the transforming of the world. 
So there's a higher purpose and a higher calling, as we'll see later throughout. There's a higher purpose and a higher calling for us as Christians now that we've been saved, rather than just sitting back and watching God work and save other people. Now he enlists us into his army, so to speak. He gets us off the sideline, like in, like in a, a sporting analogy. It's like we're not just on the sidelines watching God's, God's plan of redemption happen. Now he enlists us and we get to partake in that. Um, Mike's, Mike's sermon, uh, Pastor Mike's sermon last Sunday, his quote about the kingdom. It's like we, the kingdom of God is making all things right. It's making, so we can look out these windows and we can see a world that is hurting and broken, filled with disease, sufferings, trials, tribulations, things that shouldn't be. Remember back to chapter 8 when it's like creation is groaning for the fulfillment. We can look out these windows and see people who are hurting, people who are uh, trading, or rather worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And in Romans 1, we see all these defilements and these things that lead from that. So we can look out in the world and see all that happening. And God is, is telling us in this passage that he has saved us so that we can be transformed by the renewal of our mind and therefore live in making those things right in God's kingdom. And so it's a really, it's a glorious purpose. People are always seeking what is the purpose of life? Why have we been created? The purpose is so that we can take part in the renewing of God's kingdom. We can make things right with God. We have been enlisted into God's army to make things right. And that starts with a renewed mind and a transformed life. And therefore, as we become more transformed, we can go out into the world. And rather than being conformed to its image, we can be transformed into the image of Christ. And so under that big umbrella of Paul's big idea, we're going to get into two specific areas. One is surrender. And this is like sacrifice or laying up, presenting ourselves. Um, uh, what does he say here? Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is this idea of surrendering and laying down our lives for God. And then also we're going to look at, at the aspect of renewal. And both of these things are at work to transform us more into the image of Christ and, trans- and cause us to go out and transform and partake in the kingdom work of God. And so let's look now at surrender. So we see in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, this urging appeal, by the mercies of God. Any, when you see by the mercies of God, think chapters 1 through 11, the whole shebang, even and in, in really foundationally 5 through 8, this new life, this new working, this adoption as sons, all these good and glorious truths that we proclaim as Christians, the mercies of God. This is the only way the rest of it is possible. It's by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, we can lay our lives down before, the, before God. We can submit ourselves to Christ. We can surrender our lives to be used for his kingdom. Only by the mercies of God can we do this. Only by the mercies of God can we be renewed in our thinking. And then can we do the rest of chapters 12 through 16? So it's by the mercies of God, by chapters 1 through 11. So Paul says, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living, as a living sacrifice. Presenting our bodies alludes to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had 
priest who would come and they would sacrifice an animal. They'd kill an animal and atone for their sins. And then they would enter into the presence of God. This, this presenting ourselves to God is like that in the sense that now we present ourselves before God and we lay down our lives on the altar. So now we are, we are in a sense, the sacrifice. Now our, our uh, rational service, which, what he, which is what he calls it, he calls it your spiritual worship. Some translations say your rational service. Our rational service, our spiritual worship now to God being in Christ is laying down our lives. So our, what kind of response are we to have to chapters 1 through 11? Paul says, well, you're to give your life to God. You are to lay down your rights. You are to surrender your rights and say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And so the response that we have of this is the one that Paul is urging and appealing us to have, that we present our lives as, and our bodies as living sacrifices. Flip back to chapter 6 in Romans. We see a really parallel this is, this is why I said some, some uh, imperatives are sprinkled in, some commands are sprinkled in. In chapter 6, verses 12, we see the same kind of language. Paul is saying, okay, you've been dead to sin, now you're alive to God. How ought you to live? He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. This is the same concept of body that we talk about in chapter 12. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members... Your hands, your feet, your arms, your eyes, your tongue, your mouth. Now present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves, present. It's the same word, present. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members as God, to God as instruments for righteousness. And so we see that this, this is the same the same thing we're seeing here when Paul is saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We also have this, um, oftentimes we have, you know, we have, we've heard of the sacred and the secular divide. But sometimes as Christians, we have this spiritual and body divide going on. We'll, we'll, we'll commit a sin or something and we'll go, well, I wasn't really committing that sin spiritually. It was just kind of my body doing it. Or... Um, but in Paul's, in Paul's day, when he was writing this Romans, we, there was philosophers and Gnostics that were like, and, um, I forget the exact terminology, I think they were docetists, I think. But they, they said the body and the physical was actually bad because it was the one that's actually doing the sinning. And Paul is, is writing, no, 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 our bodies are functioning the way our internal workings are fleshing out. So in, what we believe in our minds and in our hearts is what we actually do with our bodies. You want to know how, if, how genuine of a Christian someone is. You see, or if you want to know if someone's a Christian, you see how they love one another, love the brothers like John was talking about. So we have, we, we, sometimes we want to divide this spiritual and physical, but really our bodies follow the sanctification process of our hearts. And they do what um, our minds have been renewed to do. And so we, we see Paul says that we are presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. Steve Lawson said the problem with living sacrifices is when they're laid on the altar, they're alive and they can get off the altar. If they're, not, they're not dead. They don't just lay there. We are living sacrifices who surrender ourselves to God 
And every day we have to, again, afresh, put ourselves back on the altar and submit ourselves to God, saying, again, with Jesus Christ, not my will, but your will be done. And so we are living in the sense that we are now saved for a purpose. Now we are being sanctified. Now we are putting off the old man. Now we are killing sin. Now we are living to God and living for God. Again, think of this big renewal, this kingdom that we are partaking in. Now we have died to ourselves and now we submit our resurrected bodies to the Lord. We say, I, not my will, but your will be done. Whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. Use me however you will in your kingdom. So that is this living sacrifice aspect. We have uh, been sac- we've sacrificed ourselves on the altar for service to God, not to die, but to live. And then we also see this aspect of holy and acceptable to God. Again, think of ourselves as surrendering and giving ourselves up. What kind of... Uh, surrendering ought we to have, and it's a holy and acceptable one. That term acceptable could also be translated pleasing. And we see that again uh, in, in verse 2 when it says good and acceptable and perfect. So our, our offering up of ourselves ought to be holy without blemish, just like in the old sacrificial system, they, ought to, they had to give a perfect lamb, spotless, without blemish, our sacrifices of our bodies ought to be in that same manner. Again, and it's by the mercies of God we, all, we can do this. And by the help of the Holy Spirit and through sanctification and the renewal of our minds, we surrender ourselves, offer up ourselves as an offering to God. And again, this really is the only response to all the truths of chapters 1 through 11. It's our only response to the mercies of God. Sometimes we, we hear God saying, okay, give me yourself. And we think, that makes me a little uncomfortable. It's like, do you really need me? Like, why do I have to give my whole self? Can't I just like come to church and worship you, praise you, maybe, maybe uh, for Lent or something, give up my social media? Can't I just do these things and there'll be enough? Why do I have to give myself to you? It's a little uncomfortable. It seems almost like, authoritative and God's demanding, you have to give me all of yourself. It's like, is he asking too much? And then our minds should go, okay, thinking back to by the mercies of God, chapters 1 through 11, what has God done for me? Now, now with the proper understanding of the gospel and what he's done, not sparing his own son, but giving him up for us all, now we can say, okay, giving myself is not, not some crazy task because God has given up himself for me. So now we can freely surrender and live as holy and pleasing to God. And, that's, and, that, and the, the pleasing aspect of this is when we give up ourselves and not just an empty shell of religion. So like Mike talked about, Pastor Mike talked about last week, if you weren't here, he talked about old wineskins and old ways of religion that are empty and don't actually have the essence and the meaning of um, our love for God and our desire for God that are backing them. When we just have this empty shell of religion and this, these ritualistic services, God is not pleased in that. But what God desires is a holy and, a, and pleasing sacrifice which comes from our hearts and comes from a renewed spirit, a renewed mind. So when we surrender ourselves and give ourselves to God and submit to God, to be used by God, 
God is looking at the motives and the intentions of our hearts rather than just the outward and the external. So these things are important to keep in mind. Uh, John Calvin says, All morals whose object is not to worship do nothing but miserably wander and go astray. So what he's saying there is that the world does quote-unquote good things. But if they're not in acts of worship towards God, they're really in vain. And then Paul even says that if, if you have – if um, this is kind of related to if Christ has not been raised. If we're just doing good things apart from Christ, then really that is a most miserable life. We, want, we ought to just live, be merry, and enjoy life and enjoy pleasures, live for our own joy and satisfaction apart from God if that's what we ought to do. So it's really in vain if we are to try to do all these good works to please God without the proper motive and intention of the heart, without a renewed affection. And so we also see that Paul, again, as I mentioned earlier, the rational service, he says, which is your spiritual worship. This really is the logical conclusion to chapters 1 through 11. Now I ought to submit myself to God and give myself over to his work in his kingdom. So now let's, talk, let's transition to this aspect of renewal. This idea in chapter, in uh, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This uh, big idea, this be transformed idea, I got this from Sinclair Ferguson. In the Greek, it's actually like, transliterated to be being transformed. And so if you read this carefully in the English, you're like, okay, Paul's asking me to do something that, he's asking me to do something passively. So almost as he's asking me to do something that I cannot do on my own, that, I, that someone, someone, something else must do to me. So Paul's asking me to do something that, some, that only can be done to me in a, in a passive sense. So be being transformed. And so this idea of renewal in light of transformation is we need to position ourselves under the rhythms of God's grace to be renewed and to be transformed. And this is us being renewed in light of the mercies of God from chapters 1 all the way through 11. So Paul is saying here that the real transformation comes when our mind is renewed. So this is another especially for people who grew up in, the, in, uh, in a Christian home and always have the right theological answers and all those things. We have a tendency to really um, stick with that heady theological uh, thing and really miss the greater point that that theology is supposed to have its own little mini therefore. We have a theology... And every person should have their own therefore. Therefore, with this theology in mind, it doesn't just stay in my mind. My right answer is don't justify me before God. They penetrate deeply into my heart and they actually renew me. And they start to transform me. And so we need the gospel truths and the mercies of God to wash over us and transform the way we think and live. Again, think back to our identity in Christ. When we are being renewed, what are we being renewed by? We're being renewed by our identity in Christ. 
by our union with Christ, by these gospel truths that God, think back a couple weeks ago, God is for me. He's not against me. I know he's for me because he's given his own son for me. So these, these renewing thoughts ought to be stirring in our minds. And, and really we ought to be coming up with a framework of renewal in our minds. So what I mean by that is we ought to have the gospel truths. This is why we passed out those, the gospel primer books just now. It's like getting back to the basics, the principles of the gospel. These are the things that shape and structure our mind. And Paul says, so that by testing, when we're tested, we can discern what is the will of God. The will of God simply is our sanctification. But the point here is that when we are renewed in our mind by these gospel truths, when, other, when trials, temptations, sufferings of this world are going, are, are, we're approached by those with our body, we now can have a structure and a sphere of which we can funnel those things and we can now... Uh, trust in the gospel, trust in those mercies of God. We can now rely uh, fundamentally on our identity with Christ. And these things won't shake us, rattle us, make us doubt God's love for us and all those things. We need to be renewed in our thinking. And Paul puts this negatively by saying, do not be conformed to this world. Flip over with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 shows us, chapter 2, verses 15, we talked about this aspect of the world as an enemy, as something that gets in the way of us understanding God's love for us. A couple weeks ago, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. So here's what Paul's saying do not be conformed to this image. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we have this backdrop against the one that is being transformed uh, in the renewal of our mind according to the mercies of God. So in one sense, we have... In the worldly sense, we have uh, the world trying to shape us and mold us into its own image. We have the world saying, hey, you should, if you have a desire for anything in this world, you should go and seek that out. You should fulfill that desire. If you see an attractive uh, person, you should fulfill that desire and go enjoy a relationship with them. And apart from marriage or whatever, or if you have alcohol, or it could be anything, it could be a piece of cake, whatever it is. If you have a desire and a lust for something that goes into excess and beyond what it was intended for, then you are acting according to the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, this worldly sphere that is, called, is trying to mold you and shape you into its image rather than the image of God, rather than the image we were designed for. And if you'll notice... That in our text and in this text, you see that the world, and here you see the world is passing away along with its desires. It's a self-defeating system. And again, you can go back to Romans chapter 1. You can look out into the world. You can see their way of living. The world's way of living is like a, a, a hedonistic sense. It's like get all the pleasure and desire you can do. 
seek out for pleasure, and then when it doesn't satisfy, you think, I need to go somewhere else for that satisfaction, rather than being renewed and transformed by the mercies of God, by our identity in Christ. And so the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Paul is saying, you need to be renewed in your mind because there is a better way to live. There is a way to live that meditates and dwells upon the mercies of God, our identity in Christ. And we need to have this structure and this framework in our mind. These truths, these mercies of God work to recalibrate our thinking process and allow us to handle circumstances and test rightly according to the will of God. The world is trying to conform us to its image And through a renewed mind, we start to see the world rightly. And we see the misery of the world apart from Christ. We see that these things that the world is chasing after, the money, the fame, the whatever have you, is fleeting. And it doesn't truly satisfy like the gospel, like the kingdom, like the the purposes that we've been talking about will. Our minds need to be renewed in this age. Another way of saying Do not be conformed to this world is do not be conformed to this age. This whole aspect of from death to life. This life, when Christ came back, he ushered in a new age. That was the start of a new age. When Paul is talking, he's working with a framework that this already not yet. When Christ came, he established the start of the new age. I mean, um, Pastor Mike even talked about it last Sunday, about when the Pharisees were... were, uh, Fasting and praying for this new revival and this renewal. It's like Jesus is like, the renewal is here. The bridegroom is here. I've already started and ushered in this new age that is awaiting fulfillment. So while we're in this new age, we can view, we can be, uh, we don't have to be conformed to the old way of living. Now we are brought into the new age and the new way of living and new life. So this renewed mind helps us to think properly according to the will of God, which is, according, which is in the new age. And so what I want to do in closing is I want to talk about a couple ways of practical application. And actually, before I do, I want to emphasize again what is good and acceptable and perfect. The... The renewed mind and, the, and really the transformed life that we're talking about here, the transformed life by the mercies of God, by our identity in Christ, really should be a desirous and a winsomeness. We should, we should, um, the world should see that as in a winsome way, not in like a condemning, you know, stuck up kind of Christian way like the Pharisees, for instance. It should be a really winsome, joy-filled life. A transformed life is a joy-filled life. You want to know how to be the most miserable person ever is have everyone else try to serve you. But what Paul says here is we ought to lay down our lives for God's sake, for the sake of his kingdom. And that's how we find actual joy and fulfillment. The way to be a happy person, the happiest person on earth is to not live for yourself, is to live how you were created for the purpose that you were created for. That purpose is transformation and the transformation of those around us and the world around us. Taking part in making things right. Who doesn't want to be a part of making things right? Establishing justice and truth. The kingdom of God in Romans chapter uh, 14 and 15, or one of those, it says, 
The kingdom of God consists in righteousness, joy, and peace. Who doesn't want righteousness, joy, or peace? That is the overflow of being transformed. And, st- and then, and then that, we're making that happen in this world. That is a mighty purpose. And that is actually the purpose we were created for. You can look at, um, it's a silly illustration, but like a watch was not created to be a basketball. The watch serves its purpose when it serves to tell time. A basketball serves its purpose rightly when it's played with basketball and then gives people black eyes. But the whole, the whole idea here is that we have been created to worship, to surrender to God, to, be, uh, to enjoy him and spread his glory across the globe. And through our transformation, we can now fulfill this purpose. Everyone's seeking for purpose and fulfillment and we find that in our renewed mind and a transformed heart. So now what do we do with this? As I kind of mentioned already, we, we discern rightly according to the will of God. We, with a renewed mind, we can focus, concentrate on gospel truths. We can rely on by the mercies of God. When circumstances come in now, we, have a, we work up a framework on how we can actually discern so a test comes like who all i to marry well we it comes into our minds and now we work with okay um, I, i'm one with christ now i don't i don't need to rely on this marriage to be fulfilled to be satisfied to have real purpose to have real meaning or significance in this world but i'm one with christ now how ought i to go about my days as one with christ as a single or as a married if you have married or as married without kids or whatever the situation is. It doesn't even have to be uh, that extreme. It can be anything. Any decisions we're making, it's through the framework of our identity and our um, union with Christ. And so we, have, we can have discernment with that. The other thing is this gives us purpose. And again, I've already talked about this, so I won't talk long on it. But this gives us real purpose, real joy in the midst of circumstances that we can have a renewed mind, and we can give ourselves freely to God. Another thing is these renewal rhythms. So we see, so when Paul writes this, Paul doesn't have in mind, so a lot of times when we think of, okay, I need to present myself to God as a living sacrifice and be obedient and all these different things, we think of, okay, spiritual disciplines. I got to read my Bible more. I got to pray more. I got to do, I got to memorize more scripture. I got to do X, Y, Z. But, Paul, certainly, if, we, if, if in, his, in this time when he was writing this letter, they had copies of Scripture like this, certainly he would say, read your Bible more. But what he's actually saying is, you need to be renewed more. You need to set up more rhythms of renewal around you and in your life. That is, um, gospel conversations with people in your church, whatever the situation is, and we see a particular uh, rhythm of renewal in Jesus when he's constantly going away to pray. What is he doing? He's, he's, not, just, he's not merely going away and praying, although that's exactly what he, that is what he's doing. He's doing more than that. He's renewing his mind. He's thinking about the gospel truths and how they impact his life, how they ought to function and how they play themselves out in his obedience. He's going to the Father and saying, not my will, but your will be done. He's submitting himself to the Father's will. And saying, how ought I to live now, now that, I am, uh, now that I am one with God and all these different things? Jesus is practically 
preaching the gospel to himself, and now for the joy that is set before him, enduring the cross, walking the hard road. And then again, like, in, like I said with Paul, it's like he's writing to these Christians. He's not expecting them to go read their copy of scripture more. He's saying you need to be renewed in your mind. You need to think on these things, meditate on these things of renewal, these mercies of God, chapters 1 through 11. And so as I close, I just want us to think about these things. Think about how our lives have real joy, real purpose when we are transformed into the image and the likeness of Christ. And how we are, to, we are to partake in the making of things right beyond these walls. Our Christianity is not just for ourselves or for our church and within this, this building. This, this movement, this kingdom movement is global. And it spreads beyond Delaware, Dover, all. It's, it's a kingdom that is spreading, spreading rapidly. And God has said, you be transformed in the renewal of your mind. Surrender yourselves to me. And now get involved in my army. And let's go spread and make things right. So that should be a joyful, winsome thing by the help of the Holy Spirit. And again, this is that be being transformed idea. This is that passively, the Spirit working this over our hearts and our minds as we're thinking and being renewed in our mind. Thinking about the gospels and mercies of God. And so by God's grace, we can go and do as we are going to learn more of in the rest of Romans chapter 12 with all these commands. But let us pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. It is the best thing in the world to be a Christian. It really is. We have such a mighty and powerful God. We have... King Jesus on our side, that is remarkable. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be assured that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And now with, the, with that beautiful foundation, Lord, we can go and live and surrender ourselves, lay down our lives for heaven's cause. The song is so true. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So, Lord, help us as we go through chapters, chapter 12. And as we read these instructions and these commands and these things that we ought to be doing, help us not to forget first principles that we are united to Christ. We are blameless before you because of Christ's righteousness. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd implant those truths on our hearts. Help us to be renewed in our mind. Help us to surrender our lives and help us to be transformed more and more into your image and partake in the, in the renewal of this world and the spread of your glory. Help us to worship you rightly. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.